Tonight we are looking at Lesson 22 in our Three Angels series. 22 already. And the title is Giving Glory to the Creator. Looking at God's call to give glory to the Creator. So before we jump into tonight's lesson, let's have one more word of prayer. Our Father in Heaven, thank You once again that we can be here. We thank You, Lord, for these moments in which we can open up Your Word and study about Your will for our lives. Lord, we pray that You would give us clarity of understanding on this important Bible topic and that we may learn how to live our lives to give glory and honor and all praise unto Your name. We thank You for Your blessings in all of this, and we thank You, Lord, for Your Spirit, for You have promised it in the name of Your Son, Jesus. And we pray in His holy name. Amen. Amen. question here as we start tonight's lesson is, is there a relationship between our physical health and our spiritual health? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Makes a difference, doesn't it? If our, if our mind and body can be in the right place, can be clear, then we can understand God's Word with more clarity. And so God is calling us to, to have that kind of, of clarity. We don't want to be too tired. Um, I'm sure many of you have experienced those days when you get too tired and you're trying to have worship and you fall asleep while you're trying to comprehend the Word and maybe sometimes when praying. Uh, but, but ultimately we want, to, we want to have energy and strength and we want to be able to, uh, to study and comprehend God's message for our souls. And so we want to be in the best shape possible to connect with God and to serve God, to have more energy and ability to be able to serve God, to preserve this body that the Creator has given us in the best possible way. And so we're going to see how the Scriptures outline for us a number of points on that. Incidentally, when we look at the, the ministry of Jesus, He focused a lot on healing, not only preaching the Gospel, healing spiritually, but healing physically. So I believe even in the ministry of Jesus, we see there is a great connection between the physical and the spiritual. So that's one of the, maybe one of the strongest ties, actually, uh, in Scripture. And the next question here is, God gave us the Ten Commandments to govern our spiritual health, or morals. Are there also natural laws of health that God made? Mm -hmm. yes. yes, there are. There's natural laws that God put in order, like gravity. Aren't you glad for gravity? Keeps us on the yes. ground. Yes. So we don't all go floating. floating off somewhere like a balloon. Get blown away yes. in the wind too easily. In Oklahoma, even if there is gravity, you might leave the ground with the winds blow around here, huh? Yeah, pray, the, pray the Lord will protect us from those strong winds out here. Um, but yeah, God made not only the, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, but He made the laws of health. He made physical laws. And so He wants us to be able to have sleep. And He made us to be able to eat and process food and be healthy through what we eat, as long as we're eating the right things, right? The good things. And so, yes, God made all these laws. And we have to respect all the laws that God has put in place. We have learned since very early days that we need to respect gravity. That's something you have to respect. All these laws, they, you know, there are consequences if we break the laws. Yep. And so God wants us to, to know uh, His way and to also learn from Him the, the discipline that we need to follow His laws mm -hmm. and to let it become our habit. 
to let it become our habit, to follow His counsels, His teachings, His laws in all different respects, and then reap the benefits of that experience. So the first scripture that we're going to dive into for this evening is Revelation 14 and verse 7. Revelation 14 and verse 7. Yes, three angels' messages. Once again, the very heart of our series, the very theme of our series, Revelation 14 and the three angels' messages. In chapter 14 and verse 7, we find a special message that deals with our topic tonight. So, can somebody please read that for us? And my Bible says, uh, this is the harvest of the earth. I'd like to start with that part. Okay. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to Him. For the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him that made heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of the waters. Alright, thank you very much. So, in this first angel's message, which also involves verse 6 and the everlasting gospel, that's of course the heart of it. In this gospel message that is proclaimed to all the people of the world, we see this call to fear God, that is to reverence Him, to respect Him, to obey His commandments and teachings. And then it says, and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. He calls us to account. And He says, and worship Him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. In other words, worship our Creator God. And we've been talking about that in this series. But when you think about that, God made us too. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So God has designed us in a wonderful way. And when you think about God designing us, He's our Heavenly Father. Of course He cares about our well-being in, in the deepest sense possible. He cares very much about our, our health, physical, mental, spiritual. And because He made us fearfully and wonderfully, he also wants us to take care of that gift, to appreciate that gift. Imagine if someone hands us a gift and we take that and just throw it on the ground and trample all over it. How would that make the gift giver feel? Bad, right? And yeah, so when it comes to the Lord giving us the gift of, of health and a body in which we're fearfully and wonderfully made, then we realize that, that God actually wants us to take care of our bodies, take care of our mind preserve these things that God has given us. You know, a lot of people will pray, you know, Lord, please heal me from this or that. When health is gone is when we really start repenting, isn't it? <laughs> when we're so sorry, when we start reaping all those consequences and we're like, oh, Lord, what have we done? And, and so God is calling us to give Him glory and take care of our health and appreciate it even now. Because if we just live a life where we are destroying our bodies and minds and our health, and then we're constantly praying, you know, Lord, save me from getting sick or save me from this or that. It's kind of a contradiction, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That we're working contrary to the prayer that we are to be praying to the Lord. We want that good health. We want the blessing of God. But we also want to pray that the Lord will strengthen us and help us to walk in harmony with His principles so that He can keep us going in the right way and, and our prayers and our actions will come into harmony, right? You want, that, you want that to be congruent, to run together, to be, you know, be together and not, not at odds. We don't want to be working at a counter purpose to the Lord or a counter purpose to our prayers. You know, it is God's will that we will be in good health. So it is a special gift. And the Bible says that we are called to give glory to the Creator. Well, as we will continue to see in our lesson, giving glory to God, giving glory to our Creator, part of that is, is living the abundant life 
and is living life to the fullest to honor Him, to serve Him. The Bible tells us that, that whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, it should be all to the glory of God. So what we do should be to the glory of God, taking care of our bodies, taking care of our minds. And we're going to see that this is a very important part of God's message for people in the world today, where the world is getting involved in all the, the drunkenness and the, the wild and craziness of the world, kind of like it was back in the days of Noah, right before the flood. They were just living in debauchery and living in all kinds of things that were just absolutely evil, but also corrupting to the body and mind, destroying their, their health, destroying their bodies between themselves. And so God is calling us to, to live a life and a lifestyle that will give glory to God. That when people, they, they see our lives, they, I hope they would see Jesus in us, right? Yeah. That they would see Jesus and that they would yeah. see that, that we make choices we have, we're conscientious, that we live a conscientious life because we want to honor God, that we want to do what is pleasing to the Lord. We want to take care of what God has given us because we want to honor and glorify the Creator who made us, right? To remember that the Lord has made us. The Lord loves us. The Lord cares about us. And He wants the best for us, right? Our Heavenly Father cares about us. And so we want to have that same kind of care and concern. If the Lord paid such a high price on the cross of Jesus for us, then we want to give all back to Him and honor Him in everything that we do or say. And so the Bible, the Bible um, you know, calls us to live a life that will glorify God. And that means our lifestyle needs to come into harmony with biblical principles, come into harmony with biblical teachings. That's what the Lord is desiring for all of us. Now, sadly, as we have seen, the cultures of the world are oftentimes offering things that are not really acceptable for God's people, not really good for us. You know, the world has its own ways that are not in harmony with God's ways. And that, I think, has been very clear throughout, throughout history and, you know, the Bible. Uh, the Bible outlines a lot of that. But I want to go for a moment to look at one culture specifically in the Old Testament. We're going to go back to the days of ancient Babylon in the book of Daniel. We're going to look at the prophet Daniel, chapter 1. And here we find Daniel and his friends taken into captivity into the land of Babylon. And they were being trained up to serve the king of Babylon as wise men. Now the king at this time decided that he was going to give them a royal diet right from the king's table. And there were some specific things that the king was serving to Daniel and his friends that Daniel and his friends said, wait a second, this is not a good thing for us, right? So let's take a look at what this was. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 5. Who can read that for us here tonight? Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, and the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Okay. So you notice that the king gave them a daily provision of his food, of his meat, and of his wine, which he drank. And it says that they were to be nourished for three years, and at the end of that time, they were going to be able to serve the king. So this, this, uh, this meal choice of the king from his own table was not the best kind of choice. It was not a choice that would align with God's will. Certainly, there was some offering to idols, and some people are concerned about that, but there were other, other objectionable features 
to the meat or the food that the king was placing before Daniel and his friends. They knew that this was not something that, that would honor God. It was not something that was acceptable to God. The Hebrew word is kosher. It was not, it was not something that would fall in line with God's plan for what he even said mankind should eat. It would not fall in line with that because the worldly culture is just doing it their own way. But God says, that's not how I've instructed humanity to live. That's not what I've given to humanity. And so the Lord had given them those principles. They knew those principles. They decided to stand for those godly principles and to follow God's righteous teachings. Notice here in verse 8 what the Bible says. Daniel chapter 1. The Bible says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he might not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And as a matter of fact, he actually asked for, for water and pulse. Notice verse 12, what it says there. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. So pulse, some of, some of you guys' Bibles might say vegetables. Vegetables. So in other words, they were asking for a plant-based diet. They said, you know what, just give us the, just give us the vegetables, the fruits, the nuts, the grains, all those things that are included in the plant kingdom, right? The plant kingdom, not the animal kingdom. He says, all right, let's eat this plant-based diet and just give us water to drink. Now, if it, was, if it was grape juice that they were discussing here as far as drink, I'm sure Daniel wouldn't have had a problem with a little bit of grape juice because that's part of the plant kingdom that's, that's also, you know, healthy and good. But the problem was, this was the kind of wine that intoxicates. And the king was drinking it, having a good time, giving it to these wise men. Yeah, let's drink this wine. It was the wine of Babylon, ancient Babylon. There's a prophetic wine of Babylon that we don't want to drink either in the last days. And Revelation's prophecies speak about that. It says the whole world is drunk with the wine of Babylon. And here Daniel was saying, I don't want to receive that wine of Babylon. I don't want to receive that alcohol because it will not make my mind clear in the service of God. It will lower my inhibitions and I'll be more likely to do something wrong, to make a wrong decision or to sin in some way, to get involved with the, the lust of the world and the things of the world. Daniel says, no, 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 no. I don't want that. I want to have a clear mind before my Creator, before God. I want to honor God. And so he chose this plant-based diet, and he chose to reject the wine of Babylon. Powerful, isn't it? What Daniel chose, um, when they were trying to erase his identity as a child of God, Daniel said, no, I'm sorry, but I will stand up for the Lord my God. I will stand up for God's righteous way and do that instead. And so the Bible tells us the result of this decision, when we look down at verse 15, it says this, And at the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse, gave them a plant-based diet. And it says in verse 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And the king actually found them to be ten times wiser than all the wise men of Babylon, which is just incredible. So the, 
You know, these guys, they, they stood, they decided to stand. They purposed in their heart. They determined in their heart. And that's what we have to do as well, right? When we face what the world is offering us, we must make a, a decision. We must be determined and purposed in our heart that we will not defile ourselves with what the world is offering. That we don't want the stuff that the world is trying to hand over to us. We don't want the allurements of the world that are harmful to us. And so he made that decision to stand for God, and God honored him. Daniel and his friends were men of prayer. We see that here early on in the book of Daniel, that these men were godly men, they were men of prayer, and they were men of the Scriptures. Where did their convictions come from? From a thus saith the Lord, from the Word of God, from the Scriptures. So these were men who, who read, who studied, who believed the Bible, who followed the teachings of the Bible. They determined in their hearts to stand up for God, to honor their Creator and do what God says in the Word, and to live a life of prayer and a life of principle. They would live by those righteous principles and they would draw the lines and say, you know what, we're not going to compromise our faith. And you know what, we're probably going to look pretty odd because all the other classmates, all the other wise men in the kingdom, here they were eating that stuff. Here they were drinking that stuff. They probably said, Daniel, you guys are weird. Like, what's wrong with you? Just eat the food. Just drink the wine. Come on, have a good time. You only live once. Have you heard that before? <laughs> I don't know if they said it that way, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. That kind of... I feel like maybe they drank that wine with their meals. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it happened a lot. And so, you know, the world is always pushing like, hey, come on, lighten up. Have a good time. Have some, have some. That's how the world is. So Daniel and his friends, they must have looked pretty odd. You know, but they weren't trying to just be singular, but they were trying to honor God. And if that makes us singular, if that makes us different, we just want to honor God. You know, that is the big thing. That was the big thing. And so they decided we're going to honor God. And the Bible says repeatedly, the Lord says, them that honor me, I will honor. And so because they chose to honor God, God says, I'm going to honor them. I'm going to bless them. And his blessing was put upon these young men. So that when they ate that food, they were so healthy and strong. You know, first of all, water is what God really designed for us to drink. It's the best cleansing liquid that can go all throughout our body. And you know, a lot of times today, uh, you know, people think it must be Coca-Cola or something that is, you know, the number one drink, right? But, you know, but the Bible actually points out that, that the water is, is really what our body needs. You know, just like what Daniel used here, it was water, because that cleanses us out. It doesn't have sugars, it doesn't have those other things, right? It doesn't have the dyes in it, which they've been discovering through a lot of research that the dyes are not the most healthy thing for us. You know, the food colorings and dyes, but just the natural stuff like water, it's clear. And it helps to wash things out, cleanse and lubricate. And it doesn't add any of the other things that we don't need. So it's really good stuff, fresh water. Yes. Sure. And too often, too often we're drinking too many sugars and then we have, we have, we're rampant with diabetes and things here in this world. You know, a lot of, a lot of suffering that comes and we just, we don't even realize it a lot of times what, what is hurting us. And then the culture is just pushing it and we think it's normal and it's normal to the world, to the culture, but then it becomes a problem, you know, because our body wasn't designed to face that kind of a battery of harmful substances day after day after day and to have so many of those things put into our our bodies right just wasn't designed that way so stuff starts breaking down 
And this isn't, your body is an engine that you don't, want to, you don't want it to break down. It's hard to get parts for your body, right? We need, we need our systems to function at the optimal level, the way our Creator designed them to function. But we need to also know the rules, right? Like if you get a new car, you, with that car comes a, a driver's manual, or not only a driver's manual, but an operation manual for that vehicle, right? Your vehicle's operation manual, and the, the manufacturers of that car, the designers of that car, they know what, what goes in it the right kind of gas to put in, the right kind of fuel. You don't want to just put diesel fuel in your gasoline engine. You're going to have big problems, <laughs> big problems. And you know, you've got, to, you've got to change that air filter. You've got to change your oil too. There's a lot of things you need to do to take care of that car. And if we don't follow those rules of care for the vehicle, then it's going to break down and have serious problems. It's going to wear out. And the same thing is true with our bodies. God has given us an owner's manual He's given us the Bible and He's told us in His Word what we really need for our bodies and minds that will help us to experience the greatest results, right? The optimal results. And so the Lord is, is working to help us experience the optimal results and He's given us the principles here in His Word. The principles are right here so that we can know what is the best thing to do to make sure that our body stays in the best condition possible so that we'll have more strength, more energy, more health, for serving God and have the clearest mind possible because remember again the body and mind are connected it's connected so uh, we want to have a clear mind so we can understand God's Word because you notice what's interesting when Daniel took care of his physical health what was excelling up here mental health right mental health was excelling as the physical was taken care of and he honored God and he spent time in prayer mental health was excelling ten times wiser than the other wise men in Babylon more capable, more healthy. And Daniel lived into his 90s. When you look through this book, he lived into his 90s and like late 90s and he was healthy. He was present of mind. He was serving God and serving the king at such an old age. He lived to see Babylon fall. He lived to see the Medes and Persians take over. And Daniel was blessed and a blessing to many, many people throughout so many years because he chose to honor God and follow God's principles. And that, that just changed everything. The Bible says that Daniel had understanding in visions and dreams. So not only the academic understanding and intelligence, but think about the biblical side, the spiritual side, understanding the prophecies, understanding the messages of the Lord. He, had, he, had, he was in tune with the Spirit of God, and he had that, that clearness of understanding. He had that surrender to God, and God was able to use him powerfully and to, to really sharpen up his mind and give him true understanding deep understanding of the prophetic message of scripture and God wants us to understand that message today right to have a keen spiritual perception to know what the Lord has said in his word and to share it with others so that we can bless the world for Jesus Christ so that we can turn this world upside down for Jesus Christ to share the everlasting gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and this gospel that brings hope and healing in the fullest sense possible to our lives. And so what a beautiful message we find here in the book of Daniel and really throughout Scripture when it comes to glorifying God and taking care of the health which the Lord has given us. So Daniel refused the wine. And I want to share a couple of scriptures on that. Let's go over for a moment to Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 4. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 4, here we find uh, 
some reference to, to wine. And this is Proverbs 31 and verse 4. This is a different one than that. We're going to look at that too. Who can read for us? Proverbs 31, verse 4 and 5. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. Uh huh, Lemuel. Um, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for, prin- for princes strong drink. This they drink and forget the law, and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Okay, thank you. So this here was the prophecy which uh, was taught to King Lemuel, or Lemel, Lemuel, probably is a better way to say it, Lemuel. Okay, so that's, you know, verse 1 of the chapter talks about the words of King Lemuel, um, the prophecy that his mother taught him. So he learned this. And of course, it was recorded here in the Bible because this is God's truth. This is God's truth for our lives. And the saying goes, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. Uh, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Let me ask the question, does God want us as his people to remember his holy law? Yes, yes. yes he does. Remember what happens with, with the system of Babylon and Revelation? She makes the world drunk with her wine. What happens? What do they forget? The law. The law. Yes. They transgress God's law. They forget the commandments of the Lord. They don't follow what he says because they have a false teaching in their mind and they're intoxicated with a spiritual wine of Babylon. And so here the Bible says, do not drink wine because it will make you to forget the law and also pervert judgment. God wants his people to have a clear judgment, doesn't he? To have a clear understanding, be able to to understand things and judge things rightly. Didn't Jesus say the words judge righteously, judge righteous judgment? Yes. And the Bible also, you might ask the question, well, you know, are we kings and priests? Are we in a place of responsibility as believers? And the Bible says we're a nation of kings and priests. And in Revelation, it says that the Lord died for us to make us kings. Notice here, keep your hand in Proverbs, and I'm going to share a verse from Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. And this is what the Bible says. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, verse 6 now, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Has the Lord made us a nation of kings and priests as his people? Yes, he has. And God is calling us to not get mixed up with the wine, with the alcohol, with the fermented drinks of this world. He is calling us to say no, as Daniel said no, to those things. Now, some people have said that Jesus made wine and Jesus drank wine. Have you heard that before? I've heard that. The wedding feast of Cana in John chapter 2, Jesus made um, some what was called wine. It was called wine. The Greek word there is the Greek word oinos. And first of all, we have to realize they had some kind of wine. Whatever kind of wine it was already at the feast, we're not sure. Could have been any kind. Probably it was a little bit older wine that they had at the, at the wedding feast because they said, you've, brought, you've saved the best for last, right? They said, you're, you're, what you've brought is way better. 
And usually they would serve the worst stuff last. They'd wait till people had drunk a bunch and then they serve the not so good stuff. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So Jesus, his was good. His was different. Now you have to ask yourself, Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Would Jesus go around drinking wine? No. And, and would Jesus tr- try to get people intoxicated where they might forget God's law and pervert judgment? Would Jesus say, all right, hold on, guys, though, we're out of wine. Let me brew up some good stuff here. Let me get you plastered. Let me knock you off your feet. So you drive home with your neighbor's wife. Uh, you run your ox cart off the road on the way home. I mean, is Jesus really going to do this stuff and get people plastered at a wedding? Is he going to cause the talk of the town all these drunk people because Jesus made up, brewed up in the laboratories a whole bunch of, of alcohol to get everybody messed up? No, Jesus is not going to do that. And so the Greek word oinos is the word that can be translated for, for either grape juice or alcohol. It depends on the context. It depends on the context. And there are some clear examples of that in the Bible. We're going to look here at one of the verses, and then I'm, then I'm going to come back to Proverbs. So let's take a look here at Isaiah 65 and verse 8. Isaiah 65 and verse 8. Somebody can read this for us. This is what the Lord says. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes... And men say, don't destroy it. There is yet some good in it. So will I do in behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. Thank you. So you notice here in verse 8 of Isaiah 65, it says, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. What kind of wine? The new wine. The fresh wine is found in the cluster. Well, when it's found in the cluster, we're talking about the grapes here, then... It would be fresh. It would be juice, wouldn't it? Grape juice. And he says, that new wine, that grape juice is good. Don't destroy it. In other words, if it's new, it's, it's worth keeping. If it's old, destroy it and get rid of it because it's fermented. You don't need that. Right? Now, there's a hall of shame in Scripture of some of God's people who got mixed up with some alcoholic wine. Do you know who, they, who these persons are? A couple people? Noah was one. Yep, Noah was one. Um, and what she said, uh, Aaron's sons and Eli's sons. I think they, I think they probably all got mixed up with some, but definitely Noah and also Lot. Unfortunately, Lot, his daughters got him drunk. They gave him wine. They said, "All right, Dad, here, drink this stuff." He got drunk, and you know the rest of the story. I don't have to repeat it here tonight, but it was terrible, right? They forgot the law. Getting drunk and plastered, they forgot the law, and they did evil. They did wrong. And I've met people, um, well-meaning, well-meaning Christian persons who have said, you know, I'm going to go out and do some witnessing tonight uh, at the bar, and I'm going to go witness to this person. And so they went and got, you know, and they said, well, I just believe in drinking a little bit, you know. Well, a little bit turned into more than a little bit, and the person got drunk and started acting like a fool and throwing up, and the next morning they had a hangover, and uh, I don't think their talk about Jesus went very well, and I don't think it represented the Lord Jesus very well either, you know? So, um, you know, God doesn't want us to do things that will, that will compromise our judgment and reason. 
God wants the Holy Spirit to be able to communicate with our minds. He doesn't want our, our frontal lobe, our judgment, our reason to be impaired. He wants us to, to follow not the ways of the flesh, but to follow the Holy Spirit, right? The Bible tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, not with, not with alcohol, wherein is excess, right? So, you know, people call alcohol spirits, don't they? That's, that's the wrong kind of spirits. It's not the Holy Spirit. And it, it changes. It changes the way that you think and it changes the way that you function. So the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word is yayin that we just read about from Isaiah 65, 8. And it, as you can see, it all depends on the context. It could be the new wine that's fresh in the cluster or it could be the old fermented wine. The Bible helps to explain so that you can see clearly which one it's talking about. Uh, in Jesus' case, we know, again, he's not going to go getting people wasted and plastered and drunk. He's not going to serve up a bunch of alcohol to cause people to forget the law and lose track of judgment. He just wouldn't contradict the Word of God. And let's take a look at another clear passage, and then we're going to go look at some other incredible teachings in the Bible about how we can honor God in our health. Proverbs chapter 23, Proverbs 23 and verse 31 what does this say? Proverbs 23, verse 31. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. Can I read 32? Sure. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Okay. So, you know, the Bible asks these questions from verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has babbling? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. And then it says, yeah, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it gives its color in the cup, when it moves itself aright. The Bible is telling us to not even go looking at the wine when it's fermented, when it's alcoholic, when it will cause an effect on our body that's not good. And so it just lays it out right there. And it tells us that at the last it bites like a serpent, which you know, the devil was the first one that came as a serpent, right, in the Bible. So it bites like a serpent, has venom in it, it's poisonous. Serpents are poisonous, aren't they? And it says it stings like an adder, Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Imagine that. How much glory will that bring to God if we're living like this and we're seeing perverse things and strange things, strange women and whatever else. That's not going to give glory and honor to God. And so it completely messes up our, our spiritual connection with the Lord, our clarity of mind, presence of mind. You know, the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so that's in 1 Peter 5, 8. God calls us to be sober, to be sober-minded, and to be clear of thought and recognize there is a devil out for our souls. There is a devil who's trying to destroy us. And so God is calling us away from those substances which are so harmful. And anyone who's been around alcoholic situations, alcohol, you've seen the damage, you know the damage that this stuff can do. It's really wicked. And you know that, yeah, and, and the Bible says that those who live in drunkenness aren't going to heaven. And some people think, well, I'll just drink a little. Well, the Bible says don't even look at it when it causes that kind of an effect, right? 
So it's more than just, oh, well, I can limit myself to a little bit. That's really not the best idea. The best idea in this case is to abstain from it, to abstain from it, to just say, you know what? Some things can be moderation, right? But some other things, you need to just abstain from it, right? Don't dabble with stuff that you know is going to, it's like you're trying to get to the edge. Let's see how far I can go and not cross over. You're always going to mess something up, right? It's not going to be helpful. And then think about it. Even if you were not overcome, what kind of an example are you setting for the next person who is going to be destroyed by that drink, right? It's just not of the Lord to do, to go out and, and do that stuff. The Bible says don't even look at it. Don't waste your time with it. Don't waste God's money on it. We do hold on to God's money, right? I mean, everything that is us is His. He owns us. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the car in our driveway. He owns the house we live in. God owns everything. We don't want to waste God's resources when that could go to save souls and waste it on a substance that is damaging to us and damaging to others and sets a wrong example to those around us. We don't want to waste God's resources on something that was brewed in the laboratories of the devil. So the, the Bible starts making these things clear. And the Bible doesn't go listing a whole bunch of other terrible drugs like we have in our world today, but the principle is always the same. The principle is always true, isn't it? Yes. You know, it, it doesn't go talking about cocaine and all that stuff, and it doesn't need to either. It doesn't have to. The, the principle, the truth is already here. If you're going to mess up your mind, if you're going to mess up your body, don't touch it. It doesn't give glory to God. Stay far away from it. You know, stay far away from it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we are called to stay far away from the door of temptation. Did you know that that principle is in Scripture? Don't go near the door of temptation. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 5 for just a moment. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 8. I'm going to start with verse 7. It says, Hear me now therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Can somebody read verse 8 and 9 please? Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Least thou give thy honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel, the cruel, yeah, cruel. yeah, the cruel. So cruel persons, okay. So it says here, remove thy way far from her. Now, if you're wondering what is the greater context here, the greater context is a strange woman whose lips drop like a honeycomb, right? This seductive woman, this immoral woman. And, and so the Bible, that's the greater context of this passage here in Scripture. And basically, it is allurement, isn't it? It's allurement. It is, it is sensuality. It is seductive. It is something that is drawing people in. And that's how a lot of this stuff works. That's how, that's how drug culture works. That's how alcohol works. That It's something that seduces people. It kind of sucks you in, draws you in. You think, well, I can kind of control it. I can manage it. You know, it's going to get the best of you is what's going to happen. And if you play with sensuality, you're going to be in trouble. So basically, you're playing with the flesh. You're playing with the desires of the flesh, those cravings of the flesh. And here the Bible says, the Bible says, remove your way far from her. You can underline that if you want to. Underline that little, that little three-letter word, F-A-R. Remove your way far from her. Like, don't even go near the door of her house, the Bible says. Stay away from those things that will suck you down and lead you straight to death. 
because that's exactly what the seductress does and that's exactly what these drugs do. The Bible says that many, they promise a party. This woman promises a party and so does the world and all its allurements. But at the end, the Bible says, they know not that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave, in the depths of Sheol or hell, some Bibles translate it. Uh, and so we don't want to go there. We don't want to fall into those traps that lead to death. The Bible is calling us to steer clear of those things. We want to follow the example of Jesus, our Savior, in everything. Amen? Amen. And so you think about this one here for just a moment. You probably don't have to think too long, but when it comes to something like cigarettes, does God, does God want us to, to go and smoke and cause cancer in our lungs and, you know, basically tear ourselves apart by these kinds of drugs? No. No. He doesn't want us, like, would, it, would any loving parent want their kid to say, yeah, yeah, I want my kid to go out and start smoking? No. Like, no. Because you know that it destroys them, because we know that it causes cancer, because we know that it's addictive, and it sucks you in, and it creates a lot of issues, and it even drains your bank account, too. Right? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wrongs to it. But the biggest wrong is, first of all, doing something that dishonors God that actually pollutes this body instead of promoting health. While God is trying to give us health and blessing and wellness, which is clear in the Bible, here we are doing something working contrary to God, working contrary to God, working contrary to God. And God is saying, no, do not work contrary. Let's work together for good, right? You know, Jesus didn't come to take away our quote-unquote fun Jesus came to change our lives and give us an abundant life. He came to give us a better life. Like we see in, in John 10.10, 10, Jesus says the thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. But he says, I am come that, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's what God wants us to have is the abundant life, a better life. Jesus is showing us a better way, a better life. And so that, that is the, the big message of hope and of health and of healing and of God's blessing that the Lord wants us to have. Now, I want to go to, um, and you can fill in the blank with any kinds of drugs that will create harm, even some of the medical drugs that can be dangerous, yes. right? Very addictive. You've got to be yes. careful about those things. Well, when a cigarette, secondhand smoke is real. Yes, I was sitting thinking about that. Secondhand smoke, and then they later came up with thirdhand smoke. Mm -hmm. The smoke mm -hmm. smelled up on the clothes in the yep. house and stuff. It's so let's. Oh, sorry. Are we gonna make a comment? One thing. Go for it. Slow murder is still murder. Slow murder yes. is still murder. Yes. That's right. Yes, it is. And it's a suicide. You know, if you think about yes, it. Suicide, yourself. killing yourself. Suicide, yeah. Well, let's head on over to Ezekiel 22 and verse 26. It's killing yourself. I appreciate you bringing up that comment because the Bible says don't murder and don't kill, right? And uh, you're, you're, if you're trying to... You're, it's like killing yourself on the installment plan, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, then dropping yourself. One, you know, one bit at a time. So, okay, Ezekiel 22 and verse 26. The Bible tells us about some problems among God's people in the Old Testament. And who can read that verse for us? Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. Thank you very much. 
So let's think about this. Back in the days of Ezekiel, this was right around the time of Daniel. He was actually a contemporary. He even mentions Daniel three times in his book. So here we have the prophet Ezekiel. Israel had come to its darkest place and they were taken as captives into Babylon. Ezekiel was able to prophesy through that time of captivity or during that time kind of leading into it. And we see here that, that even her priests had violated the law of God. They had violated the law. The Sabbath in particular was mentioned here, that they profaned God's holy Sabbath, that they did not distinguish between the holy and the common, the holy and the profane. And God wants us to put a difference between what is actually holy and what is common. For example, there is one holy day in the week that God has proclaimed as holy, and the other days are common days. Those are working days, regular standard common days. But there's one that's holy that the Bible says God has made holy, and that is the seventh day of the week. And they had, they had forgotten that. Their priests had forgotten that. And, you know, it's true today that, that many leaders, spiritual leaders, priests, whatnot, they have forgotten the teachings of God's law. They have forgotten the teachings of the Sabbath. They have forgotten about the difference between the clean and the unclean. They have not made a distinction between the clean and the unclean. A lot of people have forgotten that today. Religious leaders even have forgotten that. This was one of the things that God pointed out. He says, look, they violated my law and they profaned my holy things. God doesn't want us to be in that kind of situation, living in apostasy to the Lord, forgetting the holy distinctions that the Lord Himself has made. God wants to us to remember what He has said and what He has called us to do. So this is a principle we want to keep in mind. So even if a priest says, oh, you can do whatever you like, you, you have to ask the question, what does the Bible say? Because here we have the priest that forgot about God's law and they didn't do what God said. So the, the big question is, God's not going to ask you, what did that man say? What did that priest say? He's going to ask you, what does the Bible say? What did I say in my word? That's what God wants us to come back to is the Bible. What does God say? That is the standard, what the Lord says. And so the Bible tells us in Revelation 14 and verse 4 that the faithful people of God in the last days, they will follow the Lamb wherever He goes. We want to follow Jesus wherever He goes. Whatever the Lord teaches us is what we want to follow and obey. Now, we want to look for a moment at some of the principles found that distinguish between the clean and the unclean. Now, I want us to understand this in a New Testament context, in a scriptural context. We're going to look at the Old Testament for a moment, but we're going to look at the full context of this, this teaching in the Bible. So, Leviticus chapter 11, another place where we find this, uh, this description is also in Deuteronomy 14, but we're going to look at Leviticus 11 for just a moment. And the Bible tells us some principles about different kinds of animals, and it distinguishes between animals that are clean and animals that are not clean. So here in Leviticus chapter 11, we see in verses 1 through 8 that it describes land animals. So there are, of course, water animals like fish, and there are flying animals, birds. There are also bugs and creeping things. And the Bible, interestingly enough, talks about some bugs too. Anyone ever... All those crawling creatures. I read somewhere in here that grasshoppers are clean. Anybody want to eat grasshoppers? <laughs> some people, yes, some people are serving those. <laughs> so, 
So uh, we're going to look here just to get an idea of the distinction, but I want to give us again the bigger picture as well throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, looking at just some of the high points on this topic. So Leviticus chapter 11, and it begins describing the difference between all these beasts. And notice it says in verses 1 and 2, And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying unto them, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which ye shall eat among all the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parteth the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the beasts, that shall ye eat. So, it says that it parts the hoof. It's got a divided hoof. So, is, does a horse have a divided hoof? No. No, it doesn't. The horse has a, yeah. has a singular hoof. Yeah. Okay. So, anybody want a horse burger? <laughs> like, no, thank you. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, it tells us here that you shouldn't eat a horse because it's, it's, it's not clean, right? So it says, whatever has the parted hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the beasts, these shall you eat. Now, how about cows? Do cows? Yes. Oh, they yes. do. Yes. They do. Chew the cud. they uh -huh. do. Cows chew the cud. I heard they have like four stomachs. Yes. Four stomachs, right? Yes. And so they chew the cud and they eat grass and they're big and strong, aren't they? They're vegan. They're plant-based eaters. They're big and strong. <laughs> and the Bible says that, uh, you know, well, the Bible says that they have to at least be, be cloven-footed, uh, and they are. Cows are. So, next one, verse 4 says, Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat. Oh, by the way, some people are wondering about deer. Do deer chew the cud? Yes. They chew on grass? Yes. Are they cloven-footed? Yes. Do they have a divided hoof? Yes, they do. So deer is actually clean, part of that. Yeah. Yes. That's yes. deer meat. That's deer meat, yes. So, all right, so it says that these are okay. But now look at verse 4. It says, Nevertheless, these shall ye not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the hoof, as the camel, because he chews the cud, but divides not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. Okay, so the camel has one of the characteristics, but not the other. Correct. To be clean, it would have to have both holding both characteristics, not just one. So, anybody want a camel burger? No. Those things are not clean. I've ridden on a camel before. They're quite interesting with that big old neck out there between your legs, you know? They make this big old, looks like they want to bite you. They make this big sound. <laughs> yeah. Pretty interesting animals, but the Bible says he's unclean to you. Verse 5 says, And the coney, a coney is a rock badger, because he chews the cud, but divides not the hoof. He is unclean unto you. Now, as I understand rock badgers, they have more like a paw, don't they? So it's not a hoof, but it's a paw. And that's not considered a divided hoof. Divided is two, right? Cloven. But it has a paw. And so rock badger is not clean. Don't go eating rock badgers. No rock badger stew, okay? Um, <laughs> That's what, the, that's what the Bible says here. And it says in verse 6, and the hare. What is a hare? Rabbit. A rabbit. Because he chews the cud, but divides not the hoof, he is unclean unto you. So the Bible says don't go eating rabbit stew. Somebody is disappointed probably about that one. I don't know. But maybe someone listening. I'm not sure. Uh, verse 7 says, and the swine. Now what is a swine? A pig. A pig. Though he divides the hoof, 
and be cloven-footed, yet he chews not the cud, he is unclean unto you. Pigs like to inhale their food, don't they? <laughs> Just suck it right up. Devour it. And so, yeah, you give them, give them some slop and they'll suck it up. <laughs> they'll take that down. And so the Bible says here that the swine or the pig, he is unclean unto you. A lot of people, of course, the Muslim world always thinks about that one, right? They remember that. <laughs> And, and the Jews who follow this, yeah, they remember that. And we're, we're going to be looking more at exactly God's teaching for the Christian, which I think is already pretty clear here. But we're gonna, we want to understand this in light of the New Testament because some people will say, wait a second, this is just the Old Testament, but this is not the New Testament. Well, that's a very fair consideration. But let's take a look at what the New Testament says. We're going to look at that. So well, let's, before we do, let's just look at a couple more to get a good idea of what these creatures are all about. Okay, um, verse... Eight, it says, Of their flesh shall ye not eat, and their carcass shall ye not touch. They are unclean unto you. So the dead carcass, and especially don't go eating their flesh. Their flesh was not something that God wanted His people to eat. Okay, Bible just makes that very clear here. Yes, that, that that's not something to do. So when you go and you look at the water creatures, when you look at the water creatures, it says those that are in the seas and in the rivers... And then it says, the kind that you can eat are the ones that have fins and scales. And, in fact, we can just read verse 9. These shall ye eat of all that are in the waters, whatsoever has fins and scales in the waters, in the seas, and the rivers, them shall ye eat. And of all that have not fins and scales in the seas, and in the rivers, of all that move in the waters, and of any, that, any living thing which is in the waters, they shall be an abomination unto you. All right, so how about a crab? Does it have fins and scales? No. no. The Bible says don't eat crabs. That's an unclean crustacean. They happen to be bottom feeders, and they happen to clean up the ocean. If something dies, they'll go around there and pick it up and eat it. So they're, what you notice about these animals that are unclean is they're pretty much across the board scavenger animals. They're scavenger animals. They like to clean up the dead animals. The clean ones, you'll notice that they generally are eating plants, and they're generally, they're just a different order of creature, right? Different way about them. That's why there's a lot of seafood. Pigs happen to be scavengers, right? Um, wolves, wolves of the land animals, you know, the wolves and bears and tigers, all these things are carnivorous, and they're, they're eating up things that have died and so, you know, those animals are cleaning things up. They're not out there like the cows eating the grass, chewing on the cud. Okay, so, but back to the water creatures, fins and scales. You know, it's interesting that the Navy, the U.S. Navy spent, I think this was back in the 80s or 90s, they spent millions of dollars researching what could their fighter pilots eat if they were shot down on a desert island or, or maybe over the sea. They were shot down around waters, but it's a deserted place. And then what would they eat out there or if they're stranded in a ship or a boat, what would they eat? And so they started researching all these kinds of creatures in the sea, and they studied them uh, very meticulously, and then they boiled it down to, you know what, if it has fins and scales, you can eat it. If it doesn't, don't eat it. Wow. They just boiled it down. Yeah, they came right down. They said, look, if you, lose, if you lose your manual, just remember this. And they gave them the Bible principle. Just remember this. Wow. Right? So God makes it real, really simple. Yeah, really simple. So you can spend all the money and go research it. But, you know, these kinds, the clean ones are the ones that are actually, they've, they've shown it, they've proven it. You know, when you go back and you look at pigs, the pigs have, uh, 
they're very famous for trichina larvae. People get trichinosis. They get these little larvae into them. They get, you know, basically little parasites growing inside of their body, and it creates some arthritis-like symptoms. And so this is actually coming, you know, right off the meat from these creatures. And that's one of the reasons they say you have to cook it super well so you can hopefully kill all those little larvae and worms and hopefully you won't get it in your body. And it's like, well, let's just follow what the Lord said. He said, you know what, just don't eat that. Just don't put that in your body. These animals don't even have sweat glands like the pigs, right? That's one of the reasons they, they roll in the mud to cool off. They roll in the mud because they don't, they don't sweat like normally like we would. And, and so it's just a different kind of creature. It's a different order of creature. And God says, don't eat those things. They're unclean. Yeah, it's not, it's not good for you. The highest amount of, of fat of all the creatures is in the pig. And they cause, of course, you know, cholesterol. The highest levels of cholesterol are in there. Talk about heart attacks waiting to happen, right? When we put that in our body and we see like so many people in the world around us are dying of heart attacks and suffering, you know, all these kinds of things that, that happen. Go back to the diet. A lot of times we don't trace it, but you go back to the diet and you look. And that's the reason why suddenly things have gone up. Things have gone off the charts. Things are out of alignment because, because yeah, because we're eating something that God said not to eat. We're eating something that, you know, is not very wholesome here. And think about this for a minute. When Jesus died on the cross, why did he die on the cross? Wasn't it? To give us life. He died to save sinners, right? Did Jesus die on the cross to cleanse pigs and make them clean? No. No. You know, he, he died to make us clean from our sin. But he did not change the order of these creatures. You notice that? They, that? That these creatures still have their characteristics. They had them before the cross. They have them after the cross. The same exact characteristics that they had from the start. And so if God was saying, look, this is, this, this is something I don't want you to do here, makes you wonder, why would he change that and say, now, since Jesus died on the cross, I don't care what you eat. Why would God go and change that just because of the cross of Jesus? We're going to look at some more text to help make this clear. And there are some important texts we need to look at in the New Testament. Um, but I just want us to think about that for a second, that, you know, there's a reason why God says no. There's a reason why God withholds something, because the Bible says that God will, will withhold no good thing from those who love Him. So if it's good, He's not going to withhold it. And if it's not good, there's a reason why He's withholding it. That He says, you know, don't, don't go there. And so we see, we see the kinds of creatures definitely in the ocean, the lobsters, the crabs, the shells, the oysters, you know, all those things. Those are not clean. And a shark, how about a shark? Would that be clean? No scales. It's got fins, but it doesn't have scales. Right. So a shark is actually not clean. How about a tuna fish? How about a tuna fish? Tuna is fine. Tuna is clean. Yes, tuna is clean. Except for the mercury in it now. Except for the mercury. Mercury and end, end days disease problems. <laughs> yes. That's true. Yeah, the way, the way that animals are treated today in a lot of farm settings, that is something to be concerned about. Because, oh yeah, the parasites that come in. And then you just even think about animal cruelty. Does God care about how we treat those creatures? Because the Bible says that a righteous man cares for the life of his beast but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So, the righteous man cares for the life of his beast, and God is righteous, God cares for creatures. We should care for creatures too, if we're a righteous person, if we follow God. We should care about how they're treated. 
that makes a difference. That does make a difference. So that's a, that's a clear Bible teaching about how these animals are treated. So that should make us think when we look at the industry today and what's going on in common practice, is it something that really honors God or is it that we're just following the lusts of the flesh and we just have these cravings that we just want these creatures on our plate and we're going to eat them no matter what and we don't care what kind of suffering we cause, right? So those are, you know, those are definitely some things to think about. Now, among the flying creatures, I'm, you can read this chapter um, later, but among the flying creatures, basically all the scavenger birds are not clean. Um, some people wonder, is a chicken clean? Yeah, yes, yeah. a chicken is clean. Okay, turkey. but a, a vulture, a turkey is also clean. A vulture? No. 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 A hawk? No. no. An owl? No. no. Not clean. No. These are all scavenger animals and they like to eat all kinds of rodents and everything else. By the way, rodents, are they clean or not clean? Oh. Not clean. Rodents are not clean. No, don't go eating mouse. I don't think anybody wants to eat a mouse, but some people do. When I visited China, um, I remember them serving up scorpions on a stick. I was walking through downtown and they had all these shops with food out there and they had scorpions with the little pinchers there on a stick and they dip them in hot oil. They keep them alive for as long as possible and then they dip them in hot oil and kill them and they serve it to you on a stick to eat it. I did not, I did not try one because I already know and God says no, so I'd rather not. Yeah. When I was in Korea, my students used to tease. They said in China, they'll eat the legs off their chair because apparently they eat a lot of stuff, different kinds of things. There's a reputation for eating lots of different things. Yeah. They said they'll eat the legs off the chair. <laughs> so <laughs> that's coming from Korea, that little saying there. Yeah. So anyway, um, what about in the New Testament. Let's take a look for just a moment at Acts 15, verse 29. Acts 15, this is part of the Jerusalem Council. In Acts 15, in verse 29, the Bible gives us an idea here about what is God calling His people to do in the New Testament. Who can read that for us? You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Okay, Acts 15, verse 29. Yeah? Okay. Thank you for reading that. Okay. So the Bible says that you will do well to avoid these things. This was counsel that was given to the Gentiles. And the question that was asked in this whole council was, first of all, do Gentile believers, people who are just coming into the faith of Jesus Christ, do they have to be circumcised? The answer was no. Uh, to be circumcised and keep all the law of Moses, which involved the ritual sacrifices and everything. And so the believers, the, the leaders of the early church, they got together, they had this council, they asked the question, what do they need to follow? And then they decided, you know what, God is not requiring in the new covenant circumcision. He is requiring baptism, but he's not requiring circumcision. And so that was something that was clearly, uh, you know, understood here. And other aspects of the law of Moses, they, they started talking about them, okay? And so then what was it that they came to, this conclusion? Notice verse 29 that was just read. That you abstain from meats or foods offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. Now, you might ask, why things strangled? Well, because things that were strangled, the blood stayed in the body. 
The way that the Jews would kill an animal was to cut the throat of the animal, just like they would do with a sheep before the sacrifice and offering. And they would let the blood run out of this creature. They would get the blood out. The Bible says clearly that you're not supposed to eat the blood. And so ask yourself for a moment, is this one of the dietary laws that can be found in the Old Testament? Yes or no? It is, right? When he says don't eat the blood, he's talking about one of the dietary laws. So, of course, people who are eating a lot of, you know, red meat and leaving the blood in the meat, this is not what God said to do. This is not healthy. It's not of the Lord. You're supposed to take all the blood out because the blood contains a lot of impurities and possible things that could go around that you don't want. You know, sickness, disease, everything else. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so very clearly here we see in, in Acts 15:29 that they were telling the believers in Christ who were coming from the Gentile world, they were saying, look, don't eat the blood of animals and don't eat animals that have the blood in there. They were strangled to death. The blood is still in there. So it's not kosher. It's not acceptable. They're already talking about dietary laws here. I'm going to show you something else really amazing in just a moment. It says, and from fornication, from which if you keep yourselves, you shall do well. So this was talking about some of the finer points of the law. You notice the discussion here was not about the Ten Commandments. Okay, that was never in question. The Ten Commandments are always important. The question here was about some of the finer points of the law of Moses. What is it we need to keep and not keep? Very clearly, you don't need to keep circumcision. Very clearly, you don't need to keep the ritual elements because the book of Hebrews describes that Christ is our one sacrifice forever that we don't need the other sacrifices of animals. So the Bible clearly in the New Testament delineates these things, but you do notice that very clearly they said, look, don't eat the blood. Now, here's one of the finer points to that a lot of people just, just jump over, they don't see it. But if you look at it carefully, you'll see that it's actually right there in front of us. Look for a moment at Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 14. Yeah, Leviticus chapter 17 and verse 14. Who can read that for us? For it is the life of all flesh. <clears throat> the blood of it is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh. For the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth, it shall be cut off. Okay, so were people to eat the blood here in Leviticus? The blood of animals? No. no. And so when they start talking about this in the New Testament, they say don't eat the blood of animals. They're, again, they're talking about the dietary laws. Mm -hmm. But now be... Any flesh. Yeah, of any flesh. Don't eat the blood of any flesh. But then notice here, notice here what it says just before this. I'm going to read from verse 12 and 13 and then We'll ask a question. Verse 12 says, Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. One law, whether Jew or Gentile there. And then it says in verse 13, And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourneth among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof and cover it with dust. So when the principle is given, do not eat the blood, what was already assumed to be true about this principle of the blood? It says, whoever catches any beast that may be eaten. Do you notice how, okay, 
the first qualifier before we get to the blood in the dietary law is is it clean? Is it clean? Is it clean? Yep. So if it is clean, it may be eaten, then get rid of the blood. So when you go to the New Testament and you look at that and they say, don't eat the blood, get rid of the blood, they're also saying and assuming, is it clean? Because if it's not clean, you're already in trouble, right? So this relationship of don't eat the blood and is it clean, those two things go together, they're intimately tied. Isn't that incredible? how the New Testament brings that out and we see it relate to the Old Testament. You know what else is fascinating? That this here in the Law of Moses is not the first place that that is seen. It's not the first place. It's actually shown to us in the book of Genesis in the days of Noah before you ever get down to the days of Moses and the Exodus. It was already true back then. Let's go for just a moment and take a look. Genesis chapter 7 and also chapter 9. But I'm going to start with chapter 9 of Genesis. Chapter 9, this was just after the flood. Um, a lot of the vegetation had been killed off. And we notice here, chapter 9, and verse, um, verses 2 and 3 and 4, and even 5. I think 2, 3, and 4 would be especially helpful. Can somebody read that for us? And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, it's blood. Okay, thank you. Right. Do not eat flesh with the life and the blood, right? Don't eat the blood. So the principle again in Noah's day, don't eat the blood. This is actually the first time that God ever said that they could eat any kind of meat, right? Now we're going to look for a minute at the phrase where it says, you know, you can eat of all the, the living things that move, um, that, it, you know, it shall be food for you. So keep in mind, before this, they were eating things that did not move at all. Before this, they were eating plants only. And you might ask, well, how do we know that they were eating plants only? Well, we know it because right here, God is allowing them to finally start eating some of this stuff. And we know that in Genesis 1 and verse 29, God said to human beings, the food that you're going to eat is going to be the plants. It's going to be the fruits. It's going to be the vegetables. And even the animals were eating that in God's perfect world. It wasn't until after sin with the curse and with death coming into the world in Genesis 3 that thorns and thistles came up into this world, right? And this, of course, is where you have death and suffering and dying. Therefore, you have a need for scavenger animals, right? You have a need for scavenger animals that were going to eat up those other creatures that died. Remember, that was not part of the condition before sin. After sin, the Bible says the world came into a curse and evil things began to happen. But the Bible is clear that they were only given the plants to eat. And then we even see it repeated in, you know, in other chapters there that the plants is what they were eating. And now what you notice here is that Noah was told he could eat of these things which move. Now, if you take this, maybe this verse out in an extreme sense, you might say, well, look, God said I can eat everything that moves, right? If it moves, I can stick my fork in it. That means if my neighbor moves too much, I might stick my fork in my neighbor and eat him, right? <laughs> Hope not. 
okay? See, if you take the most extreme meaning of that text, then you're going to say, well, hey, if they move, I can eat it. Okay, well, is that really what God is trying to say? Or is he saying that now from among the animals that move on the ground, you can pick some food? You can choose some food from among the animals that move on the ground, okay? He's saying, yeah, you can choose, but guess what? Don't eat the blood. And there was one other factor that, that Noah was aware of. Let's just take a brief look here at chapter 7. Notice chapter 7 of Genesis and verse 2. And this is what it says. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. So the animals that Noah took on the ark, he took some of them by twos and some of them by sevens. The unclean ones were by twos, and the clean ones were by sevens. Why would you want more of the clean ones? For sacrifices. Sacrifices, yes. Because when you look at chapter 8, after they got off of the ark, they made an offering from among the clean beasts. They did not offer to God the unclean ones because they knew the difference between it. And if you were going to eat one of those beasts, and keeping in mind that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, are you going to eat a clean one that God does not want offered to him? I mean, an unclean one? Or would you eat a clean one that God has said this is okay? Like, would you say, okay, I've got two pigs over there. I'm going to eat one of them. And good luck to the pigs. They're not going to survive. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. So, so, you know, this guy knew, like Noah knew already the difference between clean and unclean. This was not just in the days of Moses. This was before the flood. This was way back when there was a difference between a clean animal and an unclean animal. So that tells us again today, there's still a difference between a clean animal and an unclean animal, right? As a matter of fact, when you get to the book of Revelation and you look at the harlot woman, the harlot church Babylon, in chapter 18 and verses 1 through 5, the Bible tells us that she's filled with every hateful and unclean bird and beast, with all these unclean creatures. And yeah, we can take a look if you want to see the verse. But yeah, it says that Babylon is filled with all these kinds of things. So take, take a look here at Revelation 18. So we're going now from Genesis to, to Revelation 18, last book of the Bible. And it says there in verse, in verse 2, it's talking about Babylon. It says this, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. So, are there such a thing as an unclean animal in the very last days? Yes, yes, yes. there are, right? So there were unclean animals in the days of, of Noah in Genesis. There, were, there are unclean animals in the very last days of Earth's history. God wants us to know the difference between the clean and the unclean. And Noah in his day, when God said you can eat from among the creatures that move on the ground, you can make your choice. He already knew, don't eat the blood, but the, the pre-qualifier to that is make sure it's clean. Right? Make sure it's a clean one. He would have known that. So that was true in his day. That was true in, in uh, Moses' day. And that was true when the apostles said, don't eat the blood. That's a dietary law. And before that, you've got to make sure that it's already clean. That was part of the law of Moses, exactly what they were saying to follow and uphold for Christian believers. Isn't that incredible? incredible. You know, the world has forgot about this. Now, someone's going to pull out their objections. They're going to say, 
hey, didn't Peter get a vision from heaven in the book of Acts chapter 10 where God sent unclean animals and he said, rise, Peter, kill and eat? He did get a vision like that. But you notice, you notice what the Bible says? It says, well, Peter wondered what the vision should mean. So did Peter immediately conclude, oh, God's telling me I can eat pigs now? Oh, no, no. He knew better. Peter did not conclude that, right? Now look at Acts 10 and verse 28. Acts 10, verse 28. What does the Bible say there? Acts 10, verse 28. And he said unto them, You know how, oh, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep it unlawful. To keep company? So oh, sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Okay. So this is the conclusion, the concluding verse of Peter's vision. Peter received the vision with unclean creatures, all kinds of creatures. And God said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Did Peter know the difference? Yes. yes. He knows what's common. He knows what's unclean. He says, No, Lord, I haven't eaten it. Then Peter wonders, What should the vision mean? He did not immediately conclude, God wants me to roast up pigs and eat them. He did not conclude that. He said, No, no let me think about it. What's God trying to say? And then, immediately, while he's having that vision, somebody knocks on the door. And that somebody was some people from the house of Cornelius who was a Gentile. And they said, look, Cornelius had a vision and he's supposed to come here and get you. You're supposed to come teach us something about Jesus. And so they're like, he's like, okay. And he, these were Gentiles and the Jews did not want to get together with Gentiles. They were separated. They said, look, you guys, you Gentiles are unclean and we're clean. So we don't want to associate with you at all. So in the dream, in the vision, Peter learned that God is showing me that I should not call any human being, any man, common or unclean. He did not say, God show me that I should now eat pigs and call them clean. No, any man, any human, any person was the whole entire point of the vision in Acts chapter 10. Somebody else is going to say, hey, I can just pray over it and it'll be clean, right? I can just pray over it and I'll eat it. No. Is that what the Bible says? You know, the Bible points out that, that basically it has to be... Um, it has to be given to us by the Word of God. Notice 1 Timothy 4, 3, and 5. I know we're, we're long. We're long tonight. But let's, let's see if we can wrap this up with a couple of these verses here. Okay. 1 Timothy. Did I say that right? I said 1 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 5. Who can read that for us? First, okay, 1 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 5. Okay, I'll read it then. And it says this. Forbidding to marry. So some people speak lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That's verse 2. Verse 3 says, Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, that is foods, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Some people are commanding to abstain from meats, which God said are okay. Verse 4 says, For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. And again, somebody's going to take that verse and take the most extreme meaning of it and say, Oh, well, every creature is good. I can eat anything I want. Again, same principle. Can you stick your fork in a neighbor? A human being is a creature too, right? If you take that, the most extreme meaning, then you're going to start eating your neighbor, and some people have, right? Some people have. The Bible says don't do that, okay? So it says, notice here in the next verse, for it is sanctified by what? Word. By the word of God 
and prayer. The word sanctified means set apart as holy. Set apart. So, what has God set apart? Well, it's clearly set apart in His Word and prayer. And the Bible says that these are among the creatures that were created to be received with thanksgiving. That's verse 3. So the question is, did God create it to be received or not? Right? If it's unclean, then it was not created to be received. Is it sanctified by the Word of God in prayer? It's not just praying over it. It's also got to be in the Word of God. It's also got to be clearly said in the Word of God. Right? So, you know, those are some of the very clear verses in the New Testament. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have time to go into everything, but if some of you are reading a modern version like the NIV or a lot of other modern versions, they, there's a passage in Mark 7:19 where they say that Jesus declared all foods to be clean. Yeah, sometime you read that in Mark 7:19. If you have a modern Bible, modern version, it'll say that Jesus declared all the foods to be clean. Yes. And then out of his body. And out of his body. Jesus, Jesus declared all foods clean. Okay. What version are you reading tonight? NIV. NIV, yeah. NIV is for sure one of them, big time. Um, and a lot of other Bibles have taken that. Now, I have what gone. Mark seven nineteen. Mark seven nineteen. However, it has some of it in red and then some of it in black. Yeah. Like, within the same sentence. Sure. Yeah, so I've gone to the trouble. I've researched that verse a lot. Um, if you look at the Greek manuscripts that are used in the NIV and the Greek manuscripts that are used in the King James Version, guess what? They're the same. And you know what the rendering is if you translate the text? If you translate the text from Greek into English, it, no matter which Greek manuscript you're using, you'll come up with the same conclusion that the, the translation, as it is in the King James and other word-for-word -word translations, doesn't say what the modern Bibles are saying, which tells us that somebody has put a theologically driven opinion into the Word of God and tried to pass it off as if it were the Word of God. Now, isn't that a concern? It's uh, the utmost concern. That's a concern. Because if you read that in, in like I said, Another version like the King James, it doesn't say it that way. But a lot of the modern versions do say it that way. And so what you're seeing is somebody is putting a theologically driven opinion into that text, which the wording of that text, if you translate it straight out word for word, it doesn't say that. Because it says that it goes into your body and it's purged out. It's, it's using the word purge or purgation that is coming out in your waist, in the privy, right? In the waist, it comes out. The Greek word there is aphidrona. It comes out in the waist. And, you know, it cleans out your body. It, you know, just cleanses or purges out. That was the point. And the whole context was Jesus was talking about the washing of hands. The, and they said, the Pharisees said, look, if you, if you eat with unwashed hands, you're a sinner. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're not a sinner if you eat with unwashed hands. Because that dirt goes in your body. It goes through your body. It comes out of your body in your waist. And it thus cleanses it or, you know, cleans it out. Okay, cleans it out. And so that was the whole point of what Jesus was saying. Now, the way Peter reacted in Acts chapter 10, imagine if they heard Jesus say, you can eat whatever you want. How would they have reacted? What? There would have been a big to-do about that, right? This one reiterates Acts 10, 9 through 29, and it's talking about how uh, it literally says here that 
Jesus paved a way for us more or less to be more mindful of the junk food that we put in our mind, not in our bodies. See? So there's a, there's a whole theological opinion that a lot of people are pushing today where they try to say, you can pretty much eat what you want. Jesus is just talking about your mind. He doesn't care about your body. That's what they're, that's what they're saying. Don't worry about what food you eat, and, but, put junk, but worry more about what, what put you junk food in your mind. In your mind, yeah. So, so this is the dichotomy that a lot of theologians in modern times have taken. That, that suddenly Jesus doesn't care about the body. You can scrap your body till it's junk. You can put whatever you want. You can be hooked up on a million tubes from doctors, and it doesn't matter. Just your, just your brain, just your thoughts, just pray, just talk to God. Kill yourself and talk to God about it all, all the way down to the grave. Like, that's, that's what that modern the, theological position is pushing. But that is clearly not what the scriptures themselves are teaching. And the Bible even says in Isaiah 66, it has a prophecy from verse 15 to 17 about those who eat pig's flesh and those who eat the mouse and other unclean things. In the last days, it says, when Jesus comes in flaming fire, he will destroy those who do this knowingly committing sin. Right? Knowingly committing sin. So I have one question to ask you as we're closing up here tonight. This world got launched into sin back in the Garden of Eden. And what was that sin, the very first sin that humankind committed against God that brought every other sin in this world? Eating something you're not supposed to. God said you can eat from all the trees of the garden, but that tree, don't eat from it, or else you'll die. Do you think that God's just going to say, eat whatever you want? If God said, don't eat those ones, and over here you can eat this one, the very first sin, will God hold us accountable for choosing to eat something that he said not to eat? Mm -hmm. He will. He held us accountable from the days of Adam and Eve. It's the same exact test, isn't it? It's the same exact test. And God is testing us, will they be loyal to me? Will people be loyal to me or not? That is the big question. Will they be loyal? So today the question comes to us, will we choose God and choose to be loyal to his word? Will we choose to follow what the Bible says from, from Genesis to Revelation about clean and unclean foods, right? Even the prophecies of Isaiah, we don't have time to read it, but go home and read it. It's in your notes, okay? You know, read that verse, Isaiah's prophecy, where he says, when the Lord comes by fire, he'll destroy those who are eating pig's meat and animals and other such things. When Jesus comes again, it's so clear. Now, there is a difference between somebody who knows to do good and does it not, right? Oh, huge difference. There's a difference. Somebody who doesn't know, you know, and in good conscience they're eating all this kind of wild stuff. They don't know that. That's the difference between somebody who does know the truth and starts rebelling against God. But you know, God wants us to know, doesn't he? He doesn't want us to live in ignorance or darkness. He wants us to know the truth. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And that's what God wants for us today, to be free in Jesus. Amen? Amen? We want to be free in the Lord Jesus. So let's have a word of prayer as we close up our lesson tonight. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your incredible blessings here tonight that we were able to study out your word and look at some things that are oftentimes not understood, oftentimes glossed over. And unfortunately, there are, there are even theological agendas to try and bury these principles of your word and to depart from them. And we are so sorry, Lord, to see that, but you know, um, we've seen it before. We know that your priests violated your law in the Old Testament and did not distinguish between the clean and the unclean. 
and it's happening today. And Lord, we just pray that we will be faithful to you to do what you have said to do and not what others are saying to do, where they throw out your principles of righteousness and your principles for healthy living. Lord, may we choose to honor you today, to obey your voice, and to stand up against the tide of evil in the culture around us. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.